take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Welcome to the Life in Red. All right, so uh, this is my first uh, big actor <laughs> coming on the podcast. Please be welcomed by Kevin L. Johnson. Thank you so much for uh, joining me. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate yeah. it. Um, you might know him. You might know the name. Um, he, you've been in a couple, of, well, quite a bit of uh, productions. Um, Jacob's Ladder. Uh, one of my favorite movies, Prisoners um and uh a little show called ozark uh <laughs> so uh you know that's really cool um just before we get into ozark and everything i did want to talk about prisoners because i remember watching that movie and it was just a whim on netflix um and uh, i just was like oh hugh jackman jake Gyllenhaal, that, that sounds like a good movie and i just kind of like watched it i remember like my jaw was like dropped the whole time was that experience like for you being in something like that yeah it was great um i was uh there for like, oh, everything cool? Do you want to try it all again and leave can, and then I'll come back? Or I can hear you. So uh, just keep talking. Hopefully the video pops in. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, prisoners was a lot of fun. I was there for a couple days. Uh, and obviously my scene is at the end of the movie. Um, and I got to work with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, which was great. I got to meet Hugh Jackman. Um, I didn't obviously get a scene with him, but I got to meet him, which was really cool. Getting to meet Wolverine was pretty, <laughs> pretty incredible. Um, and yeah, I didn't know uh, that I was going to be in the movie. I thought, because uh, when you go to IMDb, it says uncredited. Yeah. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I didn't make the cut. And then I started getting text messages while I was, uh, while I was working one night. Like, hey, we just saw Prisoners, man. Awesome job at the end of the movie. And I said, wait, what? So I'm in the movie? Okay. <laughs> um, so I went to go see the movie. And then, yeah, I had, the, I had a good scene at the end. But it's just, that's just weird how, the, that's how this business is, you know? Like, you'll get uncredited for some reason for something that you're clearly in. But then I'll get credited for American Made with Tom Cruise. And I wasn't even in it. Um, huh? Like we shot my scene with Tom. Um, have you ever seen American Made? I haven't seen it, no. So there's a scene um, where he's at a hotel, but it, it turned into like a montage of scenes. Like he's leaving these hotels. Um, and when we shot it, it was me meeting him up at this hotel and like uh, auditing him because I was with the IRS and they cut that and they, and they turned it into just a montage of him, like closing his, his trunk on his car, like, a, like in different hotels. But for some reason I'm in the credits. So it's, it's bizarre how that works. Yeah. I, that's something, you know, someone who's not familiar with the the movie business, like, that that's something that happens. Like you show up for work and you, you film it and then like you don't even, like they don't even tell you. It's like, oh, hey, yeah, actually we, we didn't cut this. You're in it. Or yeah, just kind of like find out when you're watching it. And you're like, oh, okay, I guess like, I didn't make it. That's a, that's a really bizarre kind of formula. Yeah, it's, uh, you never know until you actually see the movie. It's, right. Yeah, sometimes they'll give you like a heads up. I think in TV, 
they give you a heads up um, <clears throat> because I just shot late last year the new Walking Dead uh, in Virginia, and then I found out um, from casting that I got cut from the episode. So they give you a heads up in TV, which is totally cool because I really enjoy auditioning for the Walking Dead universe. So it'll put me back in the running for, you know, other things and maybe something even bigger down the line. So, mm-hmm. so that's interesting. So you, you know, you played a couple parts and, and, you know, you were in some and you, and you weren't in some, and then you land this, this part in Ozark that, you know, of, of a recurring character, Sam, um, like how did that whole kind of process go? Cause that like, that's, that's huge. Yeah. Uh, so I moved to Atlanta in, uh, in late 2015, I got the audition early 2016, um, saw the breakdown for the role, like <laughs> local real estate agent in the Ozarks, affable, loves his dog, loves peanut butter. <laughs> and I thought the role was going to be, uh, like it said it was for two or three episodes. Um, and I, you know, I taped it, sent it in, felt really good about it and then found out that they were going to go with somebody older. So I said, okay, you know, I mean, I've been in this business for 10 years at the time. Um, and, uh, so I can deal with rejection. It's, you know, it's happened. And, and then I, um, I was, uh, I was driving to Charlotte, North Carolina, where I used to live. I was driving for a callback for a short film and my agent, uh, calls me and he's like, Hey, they want to book you for Ozark. And I said, wait a minute. What? I thought, they, <laughs> I thought they were going to go with somebody older. Um, he's like, well, I don't know what to tell you, man. They want to book you. So, <laughs> so you never know how these things are going to happen. It's just, uh, it's, it's the craziest thing. Like you're never their first choice or it doesn't work out with somebody who maybe they had in mind. Um, and then when I got on set, I was just super excited to be a part of it. Uh, and my first, my first episode, Jason Bateman was directing me. Um, but I also got to meet Jason Bateman, Laura Lenny and Julia Garner, who was just starting to blow up. Julia was at a table read that we did, uh, the first season. And like, we, we did a table read for the first two episodes. So I kind of got the jitters out of the way of getting to meet Jason and Laura. Um, so when I got on set, I mean, yeah, I was still excited to get to work opposite Laura Lenny national treasure. Um, but I kind of had the jitters, a little bit of the jitters out of the way. Uh, so yeah, first scene, she shows up at my, uh, my real estate office, sees me moaning in the background. You'd think something else is going on. <laughs> and, and Sam is born. <laughs> right, right. Um, I was listening to a, a podcast the, the other day and it was um, with another actor and he was kind of talking about that, that balancing act of like, when you're with, you know, some of those mega stars, so you throw Jason Bateman and Laura Linney in those, and you're trying to balance that, you know, I, I, I appreciate them and I respect them and, you know, you know yeah. they're a big deal, but you also want to balance, like, I'm a colleague, you know, I'm, I'm maybe not at that level, but we're like the same. Like, is that like a hard balancing act where, you're, you know, you're, you're kind of like 
like, oh, maybe I should get a picture, but like, I don't want to embarrass right. myself. <laughs> um, I decided uh, when I booked Ozark, I wasn't, I wasn't going to ask for pictures because I felt like, you know, I mean, yeah, mm. Jason and Laura and Julia are very established. Um, but, you know, we're all, it's a collaborative, uh, you know, yeah. piece of work. So we're all working together to create something uh, that the audience is going to love. So you want to, you know, so you consider yourself on the same like level when it comes to the project. Um, and, you know, inside, obviously I'm like, Oh man, I get to work with Jason and Julia and Laura. Um, but you know, you want to keep, <laughs> you kind of keep that on the inside because yeah. yeah, of course it's exciting to get to work with those uh, people. Right. Um, I have a confession. I, I haven't watched Ozark. It, it is on the bucket list. <laughs> it's, it's, it's on one of the lists. Uh-huh. Um, the, when I look at social media, it seems to be quite a polarizing show. You have people that absolutely like adore it, love it. They'll, they'll say so many like great things. And then you have other people like it just like, I've never seen someone in the middle. Like it's okay. It's either love or hate. What, do you have any thoughts on maybe why the, the show kind of like separates people like that, the style, the writing, like the, the violence, like what, I don't know if you have a perspective on it, but it, it was um, always interesting to me. I know, for example, uh, the, the way it's shot, like the cinematography, like um, some people don't like, the color that it looks mm. like it's a, it's more of a there's more of a, a bluish tint to it but that's by design um so people who love ozark really love that because you could tell when you're watching ozark it's just like it's a style um with it's the cinematography like, like yeah because i remember when um the new season of game of thrones finally came out like the final season they had like the battle, like the big battle scene in like episode two or three. And people were saying, oh, so they're doing an Ozark style Game of Thrones, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> because because it was such a dark uh, like look to the uh, um, uh, visually. So now, you know, it's it, it's kind of cool that, you know, when you hear that people think Ozark, it's its own style. Um, and yeah, some people just don't like that style. Right. Yeah. Um, you, so as an actor, I want to kind of take into the, into the, in the life of being, being an actor. And you talked about it a little bit. Starting off with your story, of course, what made you want to get into acting? Because I think a lot of people, like, you know, that's a big dream when you're a kid. You see people on the, on the movie screen, you know, you see people like The Rock and Ryan Reynolds <laughs> yeah. and, you know, like all these people who have like these prolific careers. So everyone's like, oh, I want to be that. Yeah. Um, without understanding how much work I think goes into it. I mean, I, I'm nowhere near it and I don't understand it, but I know it's a lot of work. You know, what, what made you really want to pursue it and, and take it seriously as a career? Well, it started in college. Um, like I switched over to a, I was a computer science major at first and I switched to an English major and English 101, um, 
like the main, uh, one of the big uh, projects, we had to write um, kind of like a review, a thesis about the big play of the, uh, of the semester. So, and I had seen plays before in high school, but it was just something different because in high school, when you get to see a play, especially during like, you know, school hours, it's like, oh, sweet. So we don't have to go to class for like three hours or something. So it's more of like a break. <laughs> Whereas when you go to a play at college, it's much more professional, um, bigger, bigger auditorium. The set is more elaborate. And just getting to watch these students perform on stage was just like, oh, wow, that looks like a lot of fun. So it started out just wanting to try something different to break out of my shell because um, mm. I'm kind of an introvert. I still am. And it's, it's just a way to kind of, uh, yeah, to break out of your shell and be more of an extrovert, at least when it comes to the acting world. And I, I signed up for acting classes like the following semester, auditioned for some plays. Um, I, uh, my first audition was for the Heidi Chronicles. And it was in a black box theater at, at Clemson where I went to college. Had an audition, learned what a cold read was, didn't know what that meant. Um, and I didn't, I didn't get a role in the, uh, in the production, but I wanted to be a part of it. So I asked the director, I said, Hey, is there any way that I can be a part of this? Cause I just uh, want to see how everything is done. And they're like, yeah, yeah, let's, uh, you want to run tech. I mean, we need people to run tech behind the scenes. I was like, okay, cool. Um, and that in itself was its own like show because especially the Heidi Chronicles, there was a lot of moving parts like the set, um, different time periods. Uh, so we were like moving stuff in and out on stage. And I got to meet a lot of people who I'm still friends with to this day. One of my best friends, he had one of the main roles in the show, uh, Grayson. He lives in New York. He's, he's an actor, teaches acting. Um, so didn't get a role in that. Then, then the next uh, big play was a musical because we had a musical at the end of the year. So it was a big musical of the year. And it was going to be a, um, it was a Greek tragedy. It was based on the Greek tragedy Antigone. And it was called Burial, the Burial at Thebes. And uh, I auditioned. Uh, and you had, to, you had to have a monologue prepared. So, of course, I chose the easiest monologue there is from Shakespeare, from uh, Richard III, Now is the Winter of Our Discontent. Mm, you're right. <laughs> I, I would choose the easiest one, of course. Um, and uh, I put easy in quotes because obviously that, <laughs> it wasn't an easy one. Uh, but I got a role in that play. And I got one of the roles that wasn't, uh, that wasn't, um, that I didn't have to sing because I was like, oh, because I can't sing. At <laughs> least I didn't think I could sing, which is something I'll get to in just a second. So, uh, so that's my first show. 
my first time doing rehearsal and everything on a play, um, learning how to, what blocking means and stage left, stage right, downstage, upstage, and getting to perform in front of an audience was both, both nerve wracking and exciting at the same time, because, you know, it's just, it was, I had never done it before. And we had this ramp that went through the audience. Um, so th we were breaking the fourth wall in the show. Um, and it was really cool because it was like, I was a huge wrestling fan in high school. So I remember the rock and stone cold and triple H and they had the ramp that they would come down to the ring. So it was like, it was like coming full circle <laughs> where I was getting to go down the ramp, almost like a wrestler coming to the ring. Um, so of course I had this, I couldn't help, but had this swagger walking down this ramp. Um, theme music going. Yeah. yeah. In my head, <laughs> in my head, you smell what the rock is cooking. No. Um, <laughs> so uh, that was my first play. A lot of fun. And then uh, the next play that I got was uh, same director. And it was, I always forget, I think it was Henry V. Um, and we did it in a black box theater. And I played the role of Bardolph. And we did it in like a, a campfire kind of setting. And the idea was we were going to do it with a Southern dialect. And uh, because the theory is, that Shakespeare, um, the original dialect of Shakespeare is very close to the Southern dialect. Um, so we went to, we went to Tangier Island uh, for a couple days during the summer because their, um, their dialect is, has never really changed because people don't come in and influence the dialect. Usually when you grow up on Tangier Island, you stay on Tangier Island. There's like only so many families uh, and you see all the same families, like you see tombstones and it's all the same families. Um, so that was where we kind of uh, learned, you know, the, uh, the, the, what the theory is as the original Shakespearean dialect. So we did the play in a Southern dialect um, and that was a lot of fun getting to play like this bruising kind of dude but he's also kind of like a kind of like a goofball um in a way and there's one scene in the in the play uh that they sometimes when they do this henry v they don't show because bardolph they hang him in the play but most times they don't they don't show it in the play but we had like uh we had ladders on two sides of the black box theater. So when they hang me, I'm sh like, I'm like literally hanging off the, uh, off the ladder for like a scene. <laughs> wow. So we decided to actually show that scene. Um, so that was that, that was, that was my second play. And then I got to play Willy Wonka in a, in a play. Um, at Clemson Little Theater. Uh, it wasn't at the college, but it was near the college. Um, yeah, so that was my experience in college getting 
getting to perform. And I was used to the rejection after college because I didn't, I didn't get in a ton of plays. I mean, there were plays that, um, that I auditioned for that I didn't book a role in. Like uh, the one where I found out that I could quote sing uh, was the big play. One of my years in college was you're in town, the musical, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's you had to pay to pee was the idea of the, of the show. Um, so it's like a, a parody of Les Mis mm. and I, and I auditioned for like one, like the main character, Bobby Strong was his name. And I said, well, I want to be a part of this show, but I don't know if I can sing. So I decided, uh, I was like, all right, well, I gotta, I gotta check out the soundtrack at the library. You know, maybe I can sing, who knows? So I checked it out and went to the performing arts, uh, department and like went into one of the rooms where people you know practice their singing and I started singing uh one of the songs and I was like wow that doesn't sound half bad and then one of my friends who really she's a really good singer she was practicing in another room uh because she was gonna audition as well she booked a role in it um and she was like Kevin was that you I was like yeah did that sound good she was like yeah I was like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> um, so I auditioned for that show, got a call back in the call back. We had to learn, we had to, it was, a, there was dancing involved in the call back <laughs> and I hadn't quite mastered dancing. <laughs> so I didn't get a role in the play. Um, but it was, uh, there was a lot of people that auditioned for that show. So it was, it was pretty cutthroat. Um, and then what's after that? Uh, eventually I graduated college. A lot of people were moving to Chicago um, that were in the performing arts department because, um, uh, because Chicago was kind of big for, uh, for theater mm. um, as well as New York, but Chicago seemed to be where everybody was going. So I was like, all right, well, I'll move to Chicago then. So that was the plan uh when i graduated and i realized that that wasn't going to be able to happen because i just didn't have the money to do it so i said all right well i'm just going to move back to charlotte or move back to lake wiley south carolina uh where i grew up near like right near charlotte basically it was like right on the border of north carolina um i was like all right i'll just move back try to make some money and 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 go from there and luckily I, I moved back just in like when the, when the boom was happening in the Southeast, um, like Homeland was starting right. to shoot, uh, Hunger Games, um, Iron Man three shot there. So things were available to build a resume. I just, it, it just worked out where I was there at that time. And eventually I moved to Charlotte, uh, got an agent, got head, got, took classes with the same guy I'm taking classes with now in Atlanta. He works in Atlanta and Charlotte. Um, got headshots done, got my agent who I still have, who's my Southeast agent. I have an agent in LA and a manager in LA now because of Ozark. Uh, mm. but yeah, um, 
it's uh yeah it's been a wild ride man i could keep going on <laughs> yeah i love that like, <laughs> you kind of fell into it almost like out of a, a passion or, or just trying to explore yourself and then all of a sudden yeah. you know you go on this wild ride one of the the interesting things before I ask the wrestling question, um, okay, <laughs> is uh, so my my background's radio, and what I found interesting in in what you said is that you're an introvert, and that you can somehow you know now you have an acting career, even though that you still are an introvert. And I took a similarity to that with radio because a lot of the people who who get behind the microphone and, and talk on it would also describe themselves as an introvert. Um, is that something that you would think is common in 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 acting and 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 all that like i'm just trying to take the mind of someone who who's an introvert and doesn't like to be around people but yet you're you're really putting yourself out there you know and and becoming someone else that it just it seems odd and and counter intuitive i guess on on what my brain says yeah there's a there's a lot of uh, actors who are introverts like i mean um some of my idols are Al Pacino, Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro, uh, and then new school Ryan Gosling is awesome. He's one of my favorites. And, you know, they're kind of shy and uh, um, especially Robert De Niro. If you've ever seen, you know, interviews with him, he's very uh, uh, reserved. Like, um, so it's almost like therapeutic when you get, you know, you know, you, you get on set or you get on stage and you kind of get to let loose and <laughs> right and show another side, you know? Yeah. Um, I was going to ask if you, if you've ever watched dark side of the ring. Cause I just, I just was watching it the other day. <laughs> I've heard of it. Um, oh. Is it a, uh, is it about, uh, is it about a number of different? Uh... Yeah. A bunch of different things. I was watching the Chris Benoit episode and then I watched um, Owen Hart. Uh, it just takes you behind the scenes on some of like the more the darker things that have happened in wrestling so i was just i i just came up because i was literally just watching it the other day i'm like oh wrestling fan okay <laughs> sorry i gotta make sure my phone's off i was getting yeah no worries no worries okay. at all. um yeah uh somebody else was telling me about that Is, you said it's on netflix uh well in so i'm in canada and it's on crave uh which i don't think is in the states uh oh no i think i have i think i've seen that on amazon it's available to download yeah there you go great watch uh okay especially the if you're a wrestling fan because i remember being a kid and the chris benoit situation happening i was like oh yeah going back yeah and like talk about eddie guerrero and and all these names that i used to watch and i was like oh damn so anyways as you said it i was just it just came to mind um so, and it was a funny thing you're you're talking to as well that um, there's kind of that explosion in the southeastern parts of the states when it comes to acting. And I was, I was, I can't remember what I was watching, but it was talking about how Kim, I think it was Kim Basinger, like bought a whole town and was going to try to turn it into Hollywood. And oh wow, and it, and it failed in Georgia or something. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, it's cool that another part is at least trying because from yeah what i understand that atlanta is quite a bit of a, a hotbed when it comes to acting and business and you know all these types of areas you don't really think about right you just think of hollywood yeah it's a um entertainment is a big part of the economy here and it you know the tax incentive uh so oh, okay. it just it just makes sense and also so 
productions aren't paying as much. They're getting the city. They're getting, uh, you know, they can get the, the lakes, the mountains. Um, you can represent New York City shooting downtown Atlanta. You can represent the Ozarks shooting uh, on the coast. Um, so that's why the coastal areas are so, um, you know, people are like, yeah. Or they would just stay in LA, but you know, mm -hmm. they're getting a tax break. So they come here. Um, and we have a lot of great talent here. Uh, so it's, it's, it's great that, uh, that Hollywood is, you know, branching out. And, um, of course there's still this stigma of, well, if you cared about, if you really, really wanted to be in the business, you'd be out in LA or you'd be in New York. Um, I think that stigma is, you know, it's not as bad as it used to be, especially the more people that are booking big stuff out here. Like a buddy of mine, uh, if you've seen, have you seen Hightown? No, yep. no. It's a really good show on stars. Uh, but my buddy Atkins Esteban, he plays like the main like uh, gangster guy. Um, mm. And he's lives in Atlanta. He's a series regular uh, and he shot, they shot that in New York and, uh, and Rhode Island. Um, but he lives in Atlanta. So the more people that are booking uh, bigger roles in the Southeast, it helps everybody else out because producers, you know, they see that and they're like, okay, cool. Because it's, it's about, you know, it's, it's all about the, uh, it's all about, all about the money sometimes. Like they want to, make sure that what they're investing in, they're going to get something back. So, um, right. so yeah. when they cast like a series regular, a lot of times they're looking for a quote name, uh, but sometimes those names aren't available. So they, you know, so they got to make sure that they're getting a return on their investment, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's something that you don't really, like us as Canadians don't really think of when it comes like taxes and like all those different, different uh you know states and and laws and stuff because you know we don't have quite the same thing so right. it's an interesting point that you bring that and it makes total sense now that you say it. i'm like oh yeah okay that you know is it a zero percent tax state in georgia or is it like pretty close is it what now a zero percent state tax um or is it oh oh like uh like for for filming yeah like uh you know living there because i know I mean, I don't know much, but when I'm, I'm a hockey fan and when you hear like teams in Florida or Arizona, that they get a better like pay because they don't have to pay state tax to their players. Right. So I'm just kind of wondering if like George is kind of in the same boat where it has like a low tax rate. Oh, uh, well, they get a 20, I think it's 25% um, tax incentive mm. uh, for productions. And then, yeah, we have it like, like I have a like state tax that I pay, gotcha. you know, um, like out of my checks and everything. Though. Right. Okay. Yeah. Probably the most exciting podcast question everywhere. Tax law. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm interested, um, you know, going into the stresses of being an actor, cause you see sort of like the new up and coming stars, if you will, um, yeah. that you kind of have to be multifaceted. Like not only do you have to be a, 
a great actor. Well, sometimes you don't even have to be if you're great something else. But so you have to be talented at that. But you also have a music career. You have to have like this prolific social media following. And Mm -hmm. now you start seeing it where, you know, YouTube stars are are landing roles or or landing tours and landing all these things. Um, How much of like, you know, because you can't just focus on acting. Now you have to focus on all these other things. Like how hard is that to manage? You just have to tell yourself those things. I, those aren't things that you can control. I know uh, social media has really changed the game um, because a lot of time, I mean, casting directors, you know, for the most part say they don't look at that. Um, but when it comes to those really big roles, uh, producers look at that stuff still. Uh, I mean, maybe not all of them, but I know a number of them do. And they see all the people that are following you. And it's like, that's a built-in audience that they know that they're going to get for a show, you know? Right. So they know if, if like 500,000 people are following you, that's 500,000 people that are going to watch the show when it comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, uh, it's just something that you have to uh it's kind of a necessary evil you know um to have you know skills when it comes to social media like i'm still i'm still learning um i still don't have the blue check on (laughs) on instagram uh i finally got the blue check on uh twitter after after uh forever trying to get it um but uh yeah, it's it's definitely a necessary evil that you just have to you have to learn how to deal with. I mean, there are classes on social media. Like I know the SAG Foundation uh, did like a virtual um, Q and A. I think it was yesterday. I have to go back and watch it because I haven't watched it yet on social media and how to have a better social media presence. Right. Yeah. Do you, uh, like, how, I'm not new specifically, but where, like, you know, getting people to do it for you and teaching and, and, and all those things, like, where does that start coming into play? Is there a certain point where you're like, you know, I don't even have time to tweet, uh, right. <laughs> right. Like I'll, I'll hire a, an agency or, a yeah. or like, you know, like kind of like your manager, like, does that become a part of your business profile, at least part of your thought process? Um, I, I think there are people out there that have people that control their social media. Um, it's probably not cheap. Uh, so it's not yeah. something I can afford. Uh, but it's also, uh, I mean, I think it's good if you, if you do your own social media too, though, because you want, because it's nice to interact with the fans and it's, it's always kind of cool when, when you respond to somebody on Instagram or, uh, Sometimes people still don't know that it's me on Instagram because I don't have that blue check. So right. it's like, oh, I don't know if that's you. But when it comes to Twitter, um, people see that blue check and I'm like, oh my God, it's Sam from Ozark. Uh, and I'll like like one of their posts and, and then they'll retweet like a screenshot. It oh, it made my people day. Yeah. One of the uh, one of the main characters from Ozark liked my tweet. Uh, so it's kind of it's it's, it's a cool feeling. Uh, and just getting to interact with fans is, is a great part of it. Right. Yeah. No, I, I know if like I ever tweet, uh, like a, a, one of my favorite celebrities and they, they like it or retweet it. Yeah. yeah. You instantly screen, like it's like such a, a huge 
it is a huge deal for a lot of people. Like you have people who make fan accounts now and like that's their yeah. entire persona of you're just a fan of this person and you tweet at them all day or you follow them on Instagram. I would, I would love, uh, like Jessica Chastain is one of my favorite actors. Um, and my birthday is June 25th. It'd be awesome. <laughs> All right, let's go hey, petition Jessica. <laughs> petition Jessica Chastain right now. Here we go. <laughs> I would love to get to work with her someday. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I guess that goes into my next question. So they segue because um, what's the world like now for you and actors with this new, this new, you know, I, I hate using the new normal or new reality, right. but with COVID and the pandemic, like it's you like auditions um you know shows like have you done any of that stuff while we've kind of been in lockdown and in this new type of reality we're in so um at least in the southeast we have been doing like taped auditions for quite some time right uh for commercial usually it's an in-person audition the first round but for tv and film it's nine times out of 10, it's always been taped first okay. round. So this is something that we've been used to. Uh, now callbacks is another thing because callbacks are usually in person, but now I'm hearing a lot of casting directors saying that there's not going to be a lot of, uh, you know, in-person callbacks for quite some time. Mm. So they're going to be like zoom callbacks, which means you have to figure out a way to make your auditions, your callbacks stand out because it's, you know, it's a zoom callback. So what if you got a bad connection? You, I mean, it's yeah. things that you can't control. Um, but yeah, we've been used to the whole take the audition for, for a number of years. Uh, and now LA's and New Yorker having to do that more as well. It's going to be, like you said, the new normal, Right. for the industry for quite some time what about like um shooting um like, i don't know if you have a have been shooting or if you've had things scheduled that were canceled but like if you're looking ahead to you know new seasons of ozark or, right. or other things you roll like what's what's kind of like the talk of the industry on and how they're going to do things because i know i mean at least in canada they're just starting to loosen some of those restrictions when it comes yeah. to tv production and, and movie production well, according, I mean, uh, our governor said, yeah, we're open for business here in Atlanta or Georgia. Um, but I think a lot of productions are still going to be standoffish about starting back up. Uh, I was working on like a big project before, right before this happened, which I could talk about. I had to sign an NDA though, but it'll be, it's a big project. It'll be out next year. Probably should be out next year, even, even with the, the delay because we haven't finished filming. I have to go back and finish filming it. Mm. Um, but Tyler Perry, uh, he's wanting to start back up in July. Uh, it's, there's going to be like a lot of, it's just going to be different on set because you're going to have to have your temperature checked. Um, it's, there's They have to figure out a way to make it safe for everybody. You know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be yeah. interesting. What is, uh, what's like testing like in, in Georgia? Like, is it readily available? Like you can just go and get tested whenever you want. Um, uh, like it's yeah, pretty open right it's now. It's a lot, it's a lot better than it was at the beginning where people just weren't able to find 
places to get tested. Yeah. Like I think uh, right down the street, I could jog to uh, a spot where they have a sign out there that says COVID testing. Um, mm. So, yeah. yeah, I think it's much more readily available than it was earlier on for sure. So being in Atlanta, um, I mean, just following along in the news and Twitter, I mean, Atlanta is kind of like ground zero for a lot of things happening in, in the social discourse, I, I guess you yeah. could say. I mean, um, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but at least following the news that like half the half or if not more, the police force just walked off over yeah. the firing from uh, Richard Brooks. What What's, you know, right now, like what's the climate like living in that city? Is there still protests daily? Are the streets busy? Like kind of give us a firsthand glimpse of the city. I think there's still protests going on. Um, it may not be as, uh, it may not be as big as they were like a couple weeks ago. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think this, I hope this is a movement that, that doesn't lose steam because, you know, you're always worried about, uh, when these tragedies happen and you have these protests and then nothing gets done. Um, but for some reason, I think this feels, this feels different than, you know, cause when, when Trayvon Martin, when that, you know, tragedy happened, there were protests, but, uh, I don't think social media was as big. I mean, it was around, but I don't think it was as big as it is now. So social media is definitely helping, uh, this movement, you know, continue. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think, I think we're going to see some change from this. Um, yeah, I, it's, I, it's amazing with the cops. Um, like you said, you know, uh, like either retiring or just protesting on their own and not going to work, which means they're with that happening, that shows you how much work there is still to do. Because if you're protesting as a cop, you're protesting that one of the officers is being charged for murder after seeing the tape and seeing what he did and i and the argument oh well he fired a weapon at him but he fired and yes they did get into a scuffle but you knew what he had because you see the tape and you and they're literally struggling with the taser for like 10 seconds and he knows what he took from him he knows it wasn't a firearm he knows it was a yellow, it was a bright yellow gun. So he runs away. He's drunk. I mean, yeah, he should have, those things never should have, he, he shouldn't have reacted the way he did, obviously, but that doesn't give them the right to be judge, jury, and executioner. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he, he, he fired the weapon. He fired the, uh, the taser at him. But again, he knows it's a taser. It's not a lethal weapon. It's not going to kill him. And he responds with two, two shots or three shots in the back. It's just, and if, if you're a police officer and you're upset that they were charged with, and one, well, one of them was charged uh, with murder, then, then it just shows how much we still, uh, how much work there is still to do. It's, like you see it on tape and you still 
and you're still denying it. It's, it's, it's insane. Yeah. That's been the most worrying thing for me. Um, that the, you know, the whole world is watching like after George Floyd, um, you know, with the video, all yeah. the protests, everyone has their cameras out. Everyone's filming pretty much every interaction. You had the, that incident in Buffalo where they pushed the 75 year old man. Yeah. And then they all walked off the, the force in the unit and protest. And then you have this happen. Um, like while this is all going on, then you have this other act to me, like, to me that the whole world is watching, you know, you're being videotaped and still, there's still violence happening and, and people are still acting out. It's just for, I, I don't, I don't understand it. It really does not comprehend it in my brain. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, uh, I've been, I've been, uh, educating myself, been reading yeah. more. Um, so I've learned a lot more about, uh, like a like a race issues mm-hmm. um like you know i mean we're a country that was built on white supremacy and it's a it's it's just until we acknowledge that as white people as, until we acknowledge what we did uh, uh it's just like we're never going to move forward so this whole like you know people like oh I'm not privileged. I'm like, cause they hear white privilege mm-hmm. and they think, Oh, I never had to deal with any hardships, but that's not what that means. And even I was, and even I didn't know what it meant when it mm-hmm. came to white privilege. I was like, well, that just sounds bad. I mean, I've, I've had to deal with hardships, but that's, but it does. It means I haven't had to deal with hardships because of color of my skin though. You yeah. Know, that's what that means. Yeah. And, I, but there's some, there's so many people out there that just, uh, they, they don't want to, uh, they don't want to like just acknowledge what is right in front of them. It's a system that we benefit from, uh, from like the day we're born. Uh, it's, uh, it's just, it's a different world. So when you hear people say like things like, Oh, I don't see color or, uh, Oh, you, Oh, you're making it about race. It's, you know, what is somebody, uh, not everything is only about race, but everything is just about race. If that makes sense, like something to do with race. Mm-hmm. If that, that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I hear what you're saying. Cause I, you know, I had those exact same thoughts. I'm from like a, a small town in Canada and mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. you know, it's basically like a, to the equivalent of like a Republican, like stronghold um, in, in the States. Like that's kind of the town I would have grown up in. So I had all these thoughts too, until I actually had a conversation on this podcast where I was able to be like, okay, so colorblindness, why is that bad? And have it explained yeah. to me so I could understand and have those important conversations and, you know, I'm glad I did because uh, yeah, it totally changed my perspective and you know um, I'm a big mental health advocate and speaker. And then nice. when you start learning about um, you know, the, the same thing happened to me when someone brought up uh, like the implications of mental health and racism, it's like, you, you know that it would have a negative impact, but when you just kind of hear it and understand it, you're like, Oh, like it just, I, like to me, I like, I don't understand how people, can't empathize and, and understand what what's what's happening 
um, when it's put in such like perfect terms, I guess you could say uh, it's in those it, ways. We see like uh, it's, it's like we have blinders on and just, uh, um, you know, people will be like, oh, well, uh, I've never ran into a cop that's been a, you know, a bad cop, you know, um, but there's also, I mean, you're going to get different cops in different communities, like, you know, in a, in a gated community where the pop, you know, it's 90% white people, yeah. you're not going to get the same cops in, in a, in a, in a black neighborhood. It's just, uh, it's, it's a system that is designed still to, uh, to oppress. And until we tear down that system, um, that we created, you know, maybe not, uh, you know, us, but you know, the past is created and it's still, it's still there. And people hear like, Oh, it's not a white supremacist system. If you really, really think about it, then yeah, it is. It benefit like, it's just, um, like there are people that were against the Supreme court decision. And I'm like, you got to ask yourself, why are you against equal rights? Like I, first, uh, because those people aren't taking your jobs. If you're mad at those people taking jobs, don't get mad at them. Get mad at the corporations who hire them mm -hmm. instead of getting mad at the person who's going for the job. Like it's, you're, you're fighting the wrong people. Like you're saying, Oh, well, these, these illegal immigrants are coming over and taking our jobs, but that's not, that's not the case. It's, uh, and and they want that in they want that in fighting you know the the upper like the corporations you know it's it's what they yeah. want they don't want to be seen as a bad guy so they're like oh yeah we're going to have them fight it out when actually we're the ones controlling everything yeah no i think that's a uh, a perfect spot to end it uh kevin l johnson tell everybody where you're on social media oh yeah you can find me on uh on twitter at kevin underscore l underscore johnson and then uh instagram it's the kevin l johnson i had to be kevin l johnson was taken so i had to put <laughs> the at the front <laughs> and i really appreciate your time uh thank you so much take care uh and uh stay safe hey man thanks for having me on it was a lot of fun take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.